0: Before we get into this topic, please, if you'd bow your heads with Heavenly Father, this topic that we're going to speak about this morning, I really feel in my heart of hearts is going to be one of the central issues that we are going to be facing in the next time. And we want to pray, Father, that uh, as we each learn in our own lives how to be witnesses for the truth and how to... Uh, interact and speak with those that you've put in our path. We want to pray, Lord, that you would frame our hearts in the light of your word, in the totality of your word, Father. We want to pray that we could look at other people that are around us, realizing that in maybe in a little bit different way, that that was each one of us at a time when we were in sin. We want to pray, Father, that you would just give us the words and give us the right framework in our thinking to be able to make a difference in lost and broken lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, those that are in the back, you can just come on in. I think we're going to start here. So uh, we're going to talk about a topic today that, um, to be honest, probably many of us would wish that we didn't have to talk about. When I say that, I mean, I just mean that we feel very uncomfortable talking about this topic. Um, and I, I really feel, however, just in my, with my ear to the ground, as I'm speaking with um, adults as well as our youth, we're being confronted with this topic virtually every day. And we're going to have to come to terms you know, with how we're going to approach it and get our minds and our hearts kind of lined up the right way. Um, I would like to impress upon you that approaching this topic is going to be a very personal mission. And what I mean by that is is that the people that God has placed in my path are not the people that He's placed in your path of life. And when you are going to be interacting with people of an LBGT persuasion, you're probably going to be alone. You're not going to have any other people from church or any other people that are with you, by and large. It's going to be personal interactions that you have with them. That is where the groundbreaking work on this topic, I think, needs to happen. Uh, I would like to start off, actually, by showing you an image Uh, and this image is to make several points, but it 's one that I found that really uh, that really spoke to me as I thought about this topic. Can you all see this who 's seen this image before? Has anybody seen it it 's been around. Um, and I raised this image for several different reasons um, we have to understand that there are a lot of different voices that are saying different things about this topic. And there are a lot of people that would also claim to be the voices of evangelical Christianity. Are we going to get a wall broken through here? I'm not exactly sure what we're up against. It would be nice if we could tell them, actually, we've got something going on over here. Thank you, Joe. Um, Uh, so, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about this group that is that is protesting here. Um, this, I'm pretty sure, is a group from Kansas. Um, they are They are part of a church of a guy whose last name now I've forgotten. His name is Mark something or other. That just died about a month ago or two months ago. Okay? And he is from a very conservative, Christian, politically right-wing church in Kansas that has national attention for picketing on this topic. Now, the the placard that you can see here in the front is a pretty obvious one, God hates fags. Um, Some of the other things that I want to kind of blow up that you might see in the background, Um, this is the message that this group is getting out there, too late to pray. Um, they are also against military conflict, or at least the government intervening in political affairs, but this is the way they express themselves. Thank God for dead soldiers. God hates fags. There's another one over here in the background here. You'll eat your babies. Okay, and uh, then to my mind, I'm actually very impressed uh, with this young man in the front who decided that he was going to take a different tone <laughs> in this whole topic and make a different point and uh, he obviously had the uh, courage and the guts to quickly grab a piece of paper and write something there and probably have his mother uh, snap this picture. Um, I don't know about you folks, but you know I, I am totally convinced that homosexual behavior is wrong biblically, but these guys don't speak for me. This is not the tone or the content in the discussion that as I read the Bible is the way that people should be approached about this topic, and yet they are claiming to have my voice. As a conservative Christian, so the thing I think that i 'd like to really get out of this forum as we speak with our, our different panelists here that all have a passion or experience um, speaking with people that are uh, thank you i 'm going to disconnect this now, Matt um, speaking with uh, people who are uh, homosexuals in some way oh that was the that was the uh, Oh, okay. Good. Well, I'll get get around this here. Um, I'd like to actually arrange this forum this way. I'm going to take about, um, you know, five more minutes here to talk a little bit about some biblical underpinnings about this topic and to kind of set the scene. I'm going to ask then each of our panelists um, uh, who are interested in this topic to share with you a little bit their personal experience with how they had to confront this topic in their own lives. And, uh, you know, then some questions that I would like to ask the panel as a whole that I think might be some of the things that you all are thinking, if I could put myself in that position to imagine in my mind's eye what you might be thinking. Uh, and then opportunity later for uh, for some questions on this. So uh, I would like to talk first about um, some biblical principles about this. And One really important message that I'd like to drive home um, in this topic about some of the lies, uh, the the lies that I believe that we've been told about this. Okay, and this is what the the central theme is. We're we're led to believe in this day and age that, that sexual behaviors have genetic underpinnings to them. You know, this is the way I behave because I'm genetically pre-programmed to behave this way. And because I'm genetically pre-programmed to behave this way, there has to be a kind of acceptance, a very special kind of acceptance, actually, because this is just the way that I am. Okay, and this is bleeding over not only into sexual mores, but into other things in life with the same kind of intellectual argument. That The root of this, actually, is genetic causal effects. Okay, And what I would like to bring to your attention um, as I read some scriptures on this, and I'm not going to read uh, very many of them. We probably all know what Romans chapter 1 says about this topic, but that today is not going to be where I want you to put your attention. This morning, I'm going to ask you to draw your attention to Leviticus chapter 18. Okay, and this is for a very uh, special reason that I'd like to look at Leviticus chapter 18 that has to do with the idea of an identity, okay? If it is true, okay, if it is true that sexual mores had to do with genetic underpinnings, we would expect to find something in the Bible that would indicate that to us, right? That's what I would think, okay? But uh, when we read the Bible, what we find out is something very different. What the Bible actually teaches is that sexual behavior is linked to identity. It's linked to an identity that we have been given from God. Without the identity being there that we have from God, all kinds of deviance actually should be expected in life. But the kind of behaviors that God um, is asking us as believers to live out are centered on our identity that is formed with him. And if you would turn with me as an example to Leviticus chapter 18, I would like to read the first four verses from this chapter and then the last verse of the chapter to point something out to you that you might not have recognized in this chapter before. And I have to say my mind is being changed about one important element in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. Okay? Okay. When you read these three chapters, you will find over and over again the words, I am the Lord. I am... You can count through Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, and you will find 26 times in those three chapters that we read the words, I am the Lord. I thought, I used to think, that when I read those words, and let me read the first four verses of Leviticus 18. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, That I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, ye shall not do. And after the doing of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. In years past, when I would read those words, I'm the Lord your God, I thought that God was emphasizing his authority in those words. I've come to realize that that is not, what those words mean. You think it the way it would be written in Hebrew, it wouldn't say, I am the Lord your God. It would really say, I am. Like we have the phrase, the great I am. He says over and over, I am. I am. And what he is calling Israel to do is to actually adopt the identity that he has given them. And when we have an identity given us from God, that will automatically trigger things like sexual behaviors. So it is entirely possible, and we're going to give you one example of somebody actually from our hometown of Syracuse, excuse me, a professor at Syracuse University, that was a lesbian activist That when she converted, went straight, is living now in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship with the pastor, has four adopted children living in California. And this is somebody that was a spokesman in my community for gay, lesbian activism. Okay, so you can choose to read this in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. Please do. And you're going to find, to contradict some other ideas that are out there, the Lord actually calls sexual um, misbehavior an abomination or reprehensible. And he says that many different times for many kind of sexual norms. He says the same thing as well for improper heterosexual Relationships in Leviticus 18. The King James says this is an abomination. It says if you read at the end, the last uh, verse is an example in Leviticus 18, after it lists all the different behaviors that are inordinate based on an identity given to us from God. It says, therefore shall ye keep mine ordinances they that commit not any of these abominable customs. And you can read all of them. They're all called abominable. Which were committed before that ye defile not yourselves therein. And of course we end again in these beautiful words, I am. I am. Um, I'd like to give opportunity now with this to have our, our panelists They'll introduce themselves and in a little bit how they got interested in this discussion uh, Yesterday we started with Mike, so Mike, let's do the same thing again today. We're creatures of habit. To uh, at the teen forum to start with Mike, and we'll work our way down here to Natasha.
1: I'm. I told the teens this yesterday. I'm definitely the outlier in the in this group, as you see. <laughs> um, the rest of these folks have relationships and, and close ones, in fact, with folks of the homosexual community. Um, I don't. <clears throat> but what had happened to me over the last couple of years was i 'm a relatively outspoken person i 'm very proud to tell people that i 'm extremely conservative politically speaking, um, pretty conservative uh, spiritually speaking, and even probably identified myself with a lot of those things that evangelical churches would proclaim um, Now we, I always knew in my heart the the teaching that we you know that, that sin is sin, um, but it was easier at times to be more condemning and be more vocal or more um, Abrasive about homosexual tendencies and things like that than other than other things. It just it was a buzzword. It's a political thing, and it was easy to attach to that. Um, and going back a couple of years, and actually yesterday I was reminded of where it came from. Was hearing that there was a a small church that in their counseling of their um, young converts had a teaching of how to identify and how to witness to uh, folks of that community. And what the Lord really worked with me was that that. My, um, my vigilance or my outspokenness in that was, was really a sin in and of itself, and that the Lord was calling me to be able to answer the question the question that I got from a coworker, knowing all of my tendencies otherwise, said, "Well, what about gay people, expecting that you know this, this uh, gospel of love that I tried to, to, to share in every other aspect of my life was going to be something that she was going to be able to blow up in that. And I was thankful that at that point in this kind of searching that the Lord had done with me, I was able to give that answer that, you know what, the Lord hates the sin but loves the sinner. And that's what he's called us to do. And so uh, I've been kind of amazed in in recent days and months and probably a little over a year how many more times, maybe not even directly from that community, but from other folks that want to question me as a Christian as to what my approach is going to be, on that topic, and having to be kind of shaken a bit from what was the easy buzzword that the Christian community would throw out, that I was thankful that the Lord could kind of open that door uh, in my life to, to give a more compassionate and, and I believe a correct answer.:
2: Hi, my name is lexi i 'm from North Phoenix, um, so I have a personal friend uh, that's come out and said he 's gay. Um, I grew up with this friend. I met him in second grade. We became friends in fourth grade, just so you know how old I am. I'm going into my second year of college, so we've known each other our whole lives. And growing up together, he's known that I'm a Christian, and getting to know each other growing up, he knows what I stand for and everything. And um, in high school, we became really close. Um, I believe it was the Lord's leading that we became close, and... Towards the end of high school, he came out and said he was gay, and I had a hard time finding out how to witness to him and really showing, not showing God's love, but just how do I help bring him to um, salvation and show him what he's missing. Um, And so then uh, in April, this past April, week before Easter, he got sick, really sick. He had a near-death experience, And I had no idea about it. And I just felt like we should hang out. And so I texted him and I asked him if he wanted to hang out. We were trying to figure out what time to hang out. And I was like, well, I have Good Friday services. You could always come with me. Um, Not really expecting him to say yes. And he was like, actually, yeah, sure. And he's like, I have something I have to tell you. Um, So on the way to Good Friday services, he told me about his near-death experience and Since then, he's been coming semi-regularly, so I'm really thankful for that and um, look forward to where God leads him in his life.
3: Hi, I'm Mackenzie from North Phoenix. Um, My relationship with um, my manager for three years at my old job, he um, lived a gay lifestyle, and it's very difficult to breach that subject when you're in a superior and what's the other word subordinate thank you subordinate um position and he knew that I lived a Christian lifestyle and that I was very involved with um, my church family he knew where I stood on the position of how he was living his life however that topic never really came up in our discussions um it, it it was really difficult to interact with him knowing how he was living his life because he was very open about his life decisions. Um, but I hope and pray that God will open up another opportunity for me to really witness to him because I've been learning from all of these um, others here on the panel that... God will open up the way and he will give us the opportunity. We just need to be ready to show his love um, and just be ready with an open heart.
4: I'm Miriam Kittleberger uh, from Syracuse. And um, as Scott mentioned earlier, um, we have some friends who have come to Timber Ridge Ranch. Um, The first little girl who came was came with two moms, and that was um, it. Was really kind of a shock to us. Um, I have not had a lot of contact with gay or lesbian people before this. Um, I did work with some years ago, but it was kind of in a a distant way. I never had had a, a, relation, a personal relationship with someone who was um, a gay or lesbian. Um, and... Um, you know these these two women are they're educated they're um, they're really nice people um, they're articulate they're good people they have really good morals they like to help people they're um, they see someone in need and and they're there to help um, they both have religious backgrounds in fact um, Tina they Tina and Melissa and their daughters, Amelia. Um, Tina had a grandfather who was a Methodist minister. So they, they know, they have a lot of experience with the religious community. Um, not all of it has been good. They have been um, yelled at at times. They've been hurt physically by people who've actually beat them up. Um, when they were in college and coming out as gays um, what 's it oh yes, and they were they were in Time magazine featured as a model lesbian couple, so uh, they 're activists they're they 're out there with this um, there 's no doubt about that they actually they flaunt it, and they are um, I'm friends with both of them on Facebook, and they're really out there with their agenda. But they're loving people. They're nice people. So um, they have come. They they came to the ranch um, pretty much as soon as we started and came weekly. And we started building a relationship with them. And their daughter was is, is a very, very sweet girl. And um, she's actually the biological daughter of one of the women. Um, We Around Christmas time we decided We were going to try to take the relationship To the next level Um, We invited them for dinner And they live in a community The the lesbian community Is very hospitable I mean just like we are In our, our community They help each other They're there for each other They invite each other They enjoy spending time with each other And they were I would say at that point, they were glad to come and have dinner with us. We weren't quite sure what to expect, but we just really felt that the Lord was leading us to take our relationship to the next level. So um, Tina wanted to bring something along to um, to share with our meal, and we had a really, really nice evening together. At the end of the evening, they were kind of making a move to um, get get going and go home, and Right then we started, the, the Lord led us in this way, and it just happened that we started having more meaningful conversation with each other. They asked some questions about our church. Um, the way we got to know them initially was that they came to our church because we host um, a support group for parents of autistic children, and their daughter is autistic, so... That's initially how we got to know them, and and they've come to our church for these meetings. So they are aware that we're, they actually call us churchy, Um, churchy people. Um, So we started talking a little bit about their faith backgrounds and our faith background, and um, it was a really good time of relationship building. Um, in our interactions since then, um, we haven't had an opportunity yet to talk to share Jesus with them, but that's what our hope is. And in witnessing to them, I'm sure that um, the gay lifestyle is going to come up, that they, they know what Christians think about the gay lifestyle. But they also know us well enough to know that we're not going to bash them. We love them. They're, they're wonderful people. And I think that's where the relationship has to come in. And you have to really nurture that relationship so that you can talk about some of the more important things. Um, they have a deep spiritual need. And they have a huge need for acceptance. That is what they're looking for from people. People to accept them. Of course, I think we need to all be direct and make it clear that while we accept them and love them as people, we don't accept their lifestyle. And that's something I'm sure that is going to have to come up in some conversations that we have. That we don't. We, accept them as people that we, don't we yeah. We don't approve of their lifestyle. So maybe you can pray for us too, as we um, deepen this relationship. That we can really be effective in sharing the gospel with them.
5: Hello, I'm Natasha, I'm from the Harrow Congregation, and um, growing up I was actually always kind of scared of homosexuals, Um, well, I was scared of lesbians. Um, I know for some reason I just thought that they were going to chase me around or something, I don't know, like, but um, so I didn't really have any contact with them in high school. Um, I did have some gay friends though um guy gay friends um and then when I got out of high school, I started working at a big warehouse where uh, there were hundreds of people there, and um, I did start to develop relationships with a couple of uh lesbians, and I was like, oh, okay, you know what they're um you know keeping their hands off and um so but um yeah, I just i started to realize you know what there are people who are loved by God and they just struggle with sin just like all of us do and so I started um, at that point I wasn't a Christian um, but I moved on from that occupation and went to school and uh, during that period the Lord was um, really working on my heart and I, I gave my life to him and um, he was uh, during that time I believe growing me for what was to come as well um, so after I got out of high school, or out of college, um, I started working um, as a salesperson uh, just until I got my uh, registration for my dental job, and um, one of my supervisors was a lesbian actually, and I um, I remember uh, driving up on, on one of our road trips to one of the places we had to go, and she was just... Um, Like, she was telling me some experiences in her own life, and she was going through some hard times. And uh, she just was asking me, you know what, like, I want that peace and that joy that you have. And so I started sharing with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, after that, uh, she did start coming to church. She came to church a few times, and um, she was married as well. Uh, Her wife was um, also an activist, um, and... um, Very anti-Christian, she believed that we we all were haters. And um, but I started actually getting to know her wife as well. And um, I remember um, after one of the services, uh, Sarah Sarah Jean was her name. She was just like, you know what? Like I really love what you guys have. It's beautiful. Um, Everyone's so happy. Everyone's got so much peace. Um, I want this for my uh, family as well. And I was thinking, oh, okay, well. Uh, there's some things that might have to change a little bit first before that happens, but um so i I was like yeah it's uh you know a beautiful thing giving your life to the lord and and um you know he you know that's where all of our peace comes from right but um so I really started praying that they would get a divorce because um they were you know a really close couple right um but and i didn't want any harm to come upon them, but I knew obviously that this was detrimental to them spiritually and um I remember uh, it was very shortly after um, that I got a phone call from her wife, uh, Heather, and she was just like, "Um, "Oh, well, she uh, actually, before that happened, um, God was really telling me that I had to um, let them know what, what his views were on homosexuality. Um, So I remember just one week he was really, really speaking to me and opening up continually in one passage in Isaiah speaking about the watchman and how if he doesn't warn the trumpet and let the people know that the enemy is coming, then all of their blood will be upon um, his head. And I just really felt convicted that I really had to let them know um, how God viewed uh, the sin that they were living in. And so I remember driving up to their place and I was like really, really scared. I was um, actually trembling because... Um, I was still kind of scared of Heather, and uh, I yeah, it was just like, okay, how am I going to bring this topic up, you know? Um, so I remember getting there, and uh, there, and and both Sarah Jean and Heather were there, and um, they were like, all right, so we really want to hear what you have to say, right? And um, so it actually started right off the bat. I, they kind of knew, I think, that's where, that we were going to get to that conversation sooner or later. Um, And so I just started expounding the different references um, that speak about the sin of homosexuality and how um, God wants us all to come out of um, and overcome our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, I remember at one point Heather just stood up and I was, um, okay, like what's she going to say, right? But um, she just said, you know what, Tosh? Um, If you're any other Christian here right now, we would have kicked you out of the house a long time ago, but I know you're telling us this because you love us and you want what's best for our soul, and we thank you for that. Um, And after that, like I was saying, I I started praying that um, they would get a divorce, and and Heather did call me shortly after, and she just said, I'm going to have to um, have you be here right now for Sarah Jean because... Um, I'm planning on getting a divorce with her, and I know she's going to be really uh, taking this really hard, and she needs you here right now for her. Um, So after they got the divorce, uh, Sarah Jean did go through a lot of depression. Um, She really started searching out the scriptures more at this point, and actually God was changing her heart as well, um, and and her mentality as well about homosexuality, whereas before, obviously, she thought she was born... Um, with it genetically Um, God was now working on her heart and um, changing her to think otherwise which was amazing to see Uh, but unfortunately she ended up moving up to Toronto and uh, there's a really big homosexual community up there Um, she got involved with uh, all of them again but I'm still in contact with her and um, I know that we're all works in progress and uh, Lord willing she'll be able to look back on, on the time that she was really spending in God's word and um, come out of that sin as well.
0: Thanks. Maybe uh, just a few uh, added comments that I'd like to make about our, uh, our experience. Um, it, some of you might remember, um, because it was really national news, when one of the first abortionist doctors was shot in Buffalo. He was assassinated by some right-wing... Um, Christian, and uh, after the assassination, this group from Kansas came and was picketing at the abortion clinic. Uh, One of the girls that we know, Tina, who was then studying in Buffalo, was the first one that volunteered to escort people to the abortion clinic. So she really came face to face. With these guys, like I mean, really nose to nose. I mean, they were they were, um, uh, you know, really arguing with each other to the point of almost you know civil disobedience that the police had to come and so on. The point that I want to make is, is that she thinks that's what conservative Christianity is all about. That's what she thinks. And um, from my point of view, I think that what the Lord is really impressing upon me that one of the gems to approaching people on this topic have three components, okay? The first component is the right message with the right tone framed with the right heart. If you want to write something down, okay, to kind of guide your thinking as you're interacting with somebody else the right message with the right tone with the right heart and I really believe and have come to see that love will find a way through even the toughest issues in life and this is not the kind of thing I think that we want to be writing in the paper about this is a battle that's fought one heart after the other you know, by us just interacting with, uh, with people Some things that sometimes confuse us that I also want to mention to you to help kind of straighten out. Um, There's a few things that I've written down here. Loving people unconditionally is not the same thing as approving of their lifestyle. Loving people unconditionally is not the same thing as approving of their lifestyle. And, you know, I'm already anticipating the Lord is preparing my heart when um, we're going to have the conversation with Melissa and Tina. Uh, now we kind of know what each other thinks, but the time is going to come. I'm sure where we're going to have to speak about this. And you know what I'm expecting? Um, I'm not going to take the initiative. I'm expecting that they're going to take us there. Okay. You can almost expect that too, that as you're interacting with other gay and lesbian people, you're wondering like, well, how am I going to speak with, don't be surprised if they're the ones that actually take you to that place. Okay, and uh, I'm not saying that this is for everyone, but God has given me the words. I've told this to Miriam. I already know exactly what I'm going to tell them. And I'm going to tell them this, Melissa and Tina, there is nothing that you can do that will make me love you less. There is nothing that you can do that will make me love you more. But I think that this is wrong. And I I, I don't approve. Um, As I know them, I think that they're going to be able to accept that message. Um, For them, it's also uh, an eye-opening experience that not everybody that has biblical views thinks exactly the same way or expresses themselves the same way. But I'm quite sure that they ultimately are going to respect that. And I'm not expecting, actually... That the nature of our relationship is going to change when when we, we come to that level of expressing what we really think about this topic. Um, I would like to ask uh, you know a couple of questions of the of the group here, maybe in in any order. Whoever would like to answer this, you know, I mean, how did you overcome the original awkwardness of uh, of interacting with these folks or? Um,
2: Um, so with my story, I knew my friend my whole life. Um, so who he was, um, before he told me and who he was after he told me wasn't any different. All that was different was that I knew something more about him. Um, he still acted the same way. And I think the awkward, I believe the awkwardness that I felt was a roadblock I put up in my own mind. Um, that I had to... Take down in order to see my friend um, Just as I would see any of my other friends His sin's no different than um, any other sin Sin is sin And I had to process that um, And I really had to look at our friendship We weren't talking about anything other than what we usually talked about Calculus and language arts and whatever Um, Just day-to-day stuff Our conversations are the same Um, He wasn't different than before, and I had to remember that to witness to him, I had to witness to him just like I would witness to anybody else. And um, I hope and pray that the way I act and the way I behave is um, a testimony to those around me, and that should cause them to question, you know, why I am different than them. And um, that, that's really how I overcame the awkwardness of interacting with him was remembering he was the same friend I had my whole life.
3: Um, I think also, yeah, like Lexi said, a lot of it is in our head when we think we're like, oh, this is awkward talking to a gay person or a lesbian person. They are still human beings. They are exactly like everyone else, like to the core. Um, and so I think if we keep reminding them, like, how do we interact with other people that sin? We are all sinners ourselves, just saved by grace. And so I think if we constantly remind ourselves of that, it I know it helped me to overcome that awkwardness.
5: Like uh, both Lexi and Kenzie were saying, Um, I think, yeah, being transparent with them and letting them know your own struggles as well uh, really helps because um, it kind of puts you on the same level, you know, so they can see that we're all human, um, their sin isn't any different than what we struggle with, and um, we can only uh, overcome by God's grace. Uh,
0: In in forming relationships uh, with people of the gay, lesbian community, um, the relationship actually can really only form if you choose to not make their sexuality the central issue in the relationship. Which you know, some of you apparently you've made that choice um, in in uh, in you know interacting with them and forming a friendship. You know, do you feel that you have compromised your values by not making their sexual behavior the central issue in? in your relationship and interaction with them?
4: I, I don't feel that way at all because I think, um, like, like was mentioned already, um, they are God's creation. They are people. They are sinners just as we were sinners before we were saved. And their sin is no worse or better than another sin. Sin is sin.
1: Even rectifying it for myself, what I, what I really came to, to struggle, <laughs> the struggle for me was I was making it the central point of any of my relationships or even seeking out those kind of relationships. And that was a compromise of my faith. Trying to make something more important than another and focusing in, on one area of sin and not dealing with that um, the same way as, as everything else. Um, that, that really was the compromise. The, the woman that posed the question to me at work um, lives with a boyfriend that she's not married to. She's divorced twice now, has all kinds of other things in her life that you know, I, I should be addressing, that my faith should lead to a relationship that will address those things. And I, I, I haven't done that. I had not done that. But I was more concerned about how am I going to answer that question and that was the compromise.
0: Um, do, you know, do you feel actually that you, you have a clear testimony on this topic? And why do you, why do you, you know, what gives you kind of conviction that, that your testimony is clear as your interaction with others?
3: Um, I feel that if we're living out God's love, and just striving to live like Christ that, I mean, hopefully we will have a clear testimony. I mean, like Natasha said, her friends came and approached her and said, you know, we want to have the same joy and peace that you have. So I think if we're just really focusing first on God and building that relationship with that individual, that um, that testimony will be there.
0: Heather? Comments um, <clears throat> One of the things that we've learned um, in our relationship is that you know, one of the women, um, Melissa, uh, he, he has gone through some really uh, really difficult medical struggles, un, unrelated to their sexual habits. She uh, unexpectedly had a brain tumor four years ago. Um, when that brain tumor was operated uh, on, it left her with all call, kinds of neurological problems that she had, including um, having developed some really severe digestive problems. Um, what, what's the name of that disease, Miriam, that she has? Celiac disease, right? That her her intestines cannot absorb the nutrients in her food, actually, normally. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we found that a, a central issue... When, when they come is we're speaking about her health issues and, and their life challenges and their emotional struggles as they're dealing with her um health problems and you know those are some of the areas where i have felt really comfortable early on asking you know how have you been in the past two weeks and you know is it all right if i would pray for you i would i would really like to pray for you on this that that uh, you know the lord is going to help you through this period of time i don't need to know what her personal convictions are regarding faith to ask her if i can pray for her that to my mind actually gets my testimony out there with a kind of clarity without Needing to comment specifically on, on her um, individual lifestyle. Um, I can tell you this that um, as out there as they are on their, um, how sure they are of the choices that they've made in life, I'm not convinced that this is settled <laughs> with any of them. That's why that poster was so wrong that says, Too Late to Pray. It couldn't, there couldn't be a more wrong message that um, we're going to get out there. I actually find that both of these ladies in their own right are really kind of interested in pursuing truth. I mean they want to get down to the deeper issues of life. They are looking for really meaningful relationships that go beyond the shallow. They are looking for, if I could describe it this way, emotional intimacy with other people, which is what, why they're 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 trying to find that in the gay lesbian community. You know, they they don't want to be superficial people. They're actually looking to engage in thinking, articulate Provoking conversations in all kinds of life issues. And they actually are going to wind up fostering friendships wherever they will find people who are open and willing enough to speak with them about the kinds of topics that are going through their mind and heart. And I am, I am pretty convinced that, you know, as they search and question in their own lives, that the topic of their um, sexual behaviors um, is, is going to be revisited by them at some point in time and uh, maybe this would be good if you're interested in reading on this topic I'm sorry for bopping this thing um, you know um, I think we were struggling um, early on with uh, with you know how to interact with these people we were sharing this with Orson Martin, and uh, Martin is an excellent source for giving you just the book that you need to read <laughs> you know to help you with this, she's done that more than once uh, for us, and she had just the book to read, Miriam has the book here, I just want to comment about this a little bit, because um, there are interesting connections here, I I went to, um, uh, I started a doctoral work at Syracuse University in 1997, okay, and... Um, As I was kind of getting acquainted a little bit with community life, this story of Rosario Champagne totally evaded me, but the story in this book starts in 1997, when she actually developed the first relationship coincidentally with a 70-year-old Presbyterian minister who has a church local to the university. And through an unusual set of circumstances, she developed uh, a relationship with this man. I was very impressed by the fact that I didn't really think that somebody um, from his generation would be the right expected person to actually reach out to a young, flaming, lesbian activist professor who was doing her research in queer studies. This is what she was hired to do at Syracuse University. And it is very interesting when you read the book that as she ultimately had a two-year relationship with this man and his wife who slowly but surely started to lead her to question the presuppositions that underlied their behavior, he would simply ask her questions like this. Um, how have you come... To this worldview, and how do you know that you 're right? How do you know that you 're right? She was an intellectually honest enough person to know that she didn 't have answers to those questions, and she was you know actively uh, actively pursuing them. Um, just one point that i 'd like to make before Miriam speaks about it a little bit more is that um when she ultimately gave her life to the Lord, she describes her life as a train wreck. You have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes for a minute and think what it's like for them to come to faith. Her whole friendship um, was centered around gay and lesbian people. Everyone that she cared for and knew was in that community. For her to ultimately espouse a Christian faith meant a betrayal in her mind of everybody that she cared for. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University to do queer studies. She came to the point of not being able to continue her research because she didn't believe anymore in what she was researching. When she came out at a graduate convocation speech, that's the way she chose. I wish I would have been there for that lecture, I was there. It was my year. I was a first-year graduate student at the convocation lecture, and I blew it off, okay? And I would have had the chance to hear her come out to the school community um, giving a lecture on the questions and the dilemma of Solomon is the way she actually expressed the faith that she had come to. She lost her position at the university. She lost everything that became dear to her for moving over from a non-faith position to a faith position. Um, I don't know too many others, actually, that have had that kind of train wreck of a life when they actually came to faith. Um, Miriam, your impressions of the book. and What's the title, please, and the author? And...
4: The book is called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. I'll repeat that. The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert an English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. And the author is Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. It's a, an excellent resource, um, a very gripping story of her journey into faith. And her struggles—it was a a huge turnover for her to um, go from a a lifestyle of, um, I mean, deeply entrenched in the gay lifestyle, to uh, to come to a faith, a a true faith in Jesus Christ. And she, you know, she encountered um, a chaplain at the university when she was having these struggles. She encountered a chaplain who said, "Oh." You're a good moral gay person. You're you're a, a good lesbian. You can believe in God, and remain a lesbian. She could.
0: That's what he told her.
4: Yeah, and and she, and she read the Bible, and she knew that the Bible said no. She cannot, and and she went all the way with her faith, and became a very committed Christian married a pastor eventually, and started adopting children. And she has a a huge ministry. Um, It's a a great book. I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's interested in ministering to gay or lesbian people.
1: uh, Sorry, Mike. Just add one thing. Um, One of the things that hit me the most about reading the book was um, you would expect that this would happen in a vibrant, dynamic, modern-day evangelical church where there's programs and they had somebody that was well-acquainted with reaching out to this community. I wish I could show you a picture of what the church was and learning a little bit. It was a Reformed Presbyterian church. And when I looked into a little bit more what that means, these aren't folks that have wild services with dynamic music and stuff. These are folks that sing the Psalms a cappella. And there's one person that gets up and sings the song a cappella. What it really struck me was, is I'm not saying it's exactly like, like our fellowships would be, but we're not that different. There's no reason that the Lord can't use the message of love, the gospel message of love to touch the heart. It's not any fancy program that was needed in that circumstance to reach out to that person. It was two willing old servants that answered, I think it was an editorial that she had put in the paper And he answered the question. And she was looking for opinions that were either pro or con. And here was a man that reached out in love and gave her an answer that she couldn't put in one of those piles. He gave her questions. Questions. Right. He provoked her with questions that she couldn't
0: answer. And that's why she couldn't throw it in either of the two buckets. Thank you. We'd like to entertain questions. We promise no answers, but we'll try 11.40, that's how long the forum actually goes, so we have about seven or eight minutes.
6: Could we please have some suggestions of practical ideas of how to demonstrate unconditional love? Um, I think there's a general fear that, you know, if I do demonstrate unconditional love, part of that package means, or they will interpret that as acceptance of their lifestyle, and, and how do we not present that as a confusing message, but yet be unreserved with unconditional love?
0: Oh, Mike has to come back with it. Well, you know what, I'll I'll give my thoughts and then I'd like to invite somebody else to... uh, The way, uh, the first way that I tried to show love to people actually is to just really listen to them. I'm asking them all kinds of questions about their life and who they are and their background and what they do and what they like and what they don't like. And, you know, I mean, in an effort to actually just show openness that I'm interested in them as a person and and the totality of them as a person, you know. And, of course, they're going to tell me things about their life and who they are that I'm not going to be all that pleased to have to hear... Those kinds of things, but um, it's just you know my openness to reach out to them to really try to understand something about who they are. I want to listen and understand first who they are before I'm so concerned with them understanding who I am and what my thoughts are. So that's one, and I don't think it's such a small thing actually to really open up and and be in personally, really genuinely interested in another human being and what they are and what their life is like and what their thoughts are like and what their struggles are and what their aspirations are. You know, you don't have those kinds of normal discussions with people that we interact with. So anybody else would like to, think, how do you show unconditional
5: conditioned love? Um, yeah, I think uh, if they know your convictions are very black and white on everything, like they know what you stand for as a Christian, um, then... They'll probably know, like even with Sarah Jean and Heather, they knew that that conversation was coming up sooner or later. Um, They knew what my beliefs were on it, but they also knew that I loved them very much and I didn't want them burning in hell. Um, So I think uh, walking the walk uh, definitely makes a big difference too.
2: For me personally, one of the ways I show love to anyone is talking to them, kind of like Scott was saying, getting to know them. Uh, spending a lot of time, that's a big thing for me. Um, there's the five love languages, and I think, I believe that's one of mine. Um, so, showing love to my friend, um, I'm sending little texts here and there, just whatever, even if it's just a hey, what's up, um, and trying to get time to spend time together. Um, Even before he was coming to church, I was like, oh, well, you know, we haven't seen each other for a while. Let's hang out. And we talk about, we get coffee and talk about pretty much nothing. But, you know, just spending time, I think, is a big thing, too.
4: I guess one of the questions would be, too, how would you approach another friend, for example, who is maybe in a, a heterosexual marriage that is... Um, I'm sorry, a heterosexual relationship that is unmarried How would you approach them about talking to them about uh, Jesus Christ Or about their sin or whatever It's, it's really not different Let's, well, What I needed to do was not focus on the homosexuality I need to focus on this person As a person who's lost and needs Jesus
0: Questions back there, Mike.
6: Uh, I have not read the book, but I'm familiar with her story and I've, I've heard her testimony. And one of the things that she had uh, addressed in a, in a QA that I had seen um, was, you know, what is the answer to their lifestyle? And her response was, for her it, it it resulted in a uh heterosexual i uh, marriage
0: oh, no. Bizarre, I'm right? sorry
6: yeah I, to clarify the pro, the professor that you referred to um, however, she did say that that is not necessarily the case in every for every person for every person living this lifestyle, and that there needs to be room in the church for those that abstain or, or, or refrain from that lifestyle, yet are single and still deal with those temptations and not necessarily to, quote-unquote, fix them or make them heterosexual. I'm just curious what your thoughts or the panel's thoughts are on, on, on that response from her. Um, I, I don't
0: think that... Um, yeah we should be so naive to think that people aren't going to have problems in their life. I mean, there are going to be sexual issues and problems that people deal with. And there might be some medical complications and things that I, that I don't understand. Um, I, as I understand the scripture, I would agree with the point, though, um, that there could be a variety of reasons where some in the church are going to lead celibate lives and they might be heterosexuals for certain reasons that choose to lead celibate lives, or there might be those that actually struggle with other things, but the way that they live faithful to their faith calling is ultimately to just lead a celibate life. And I, I, I could imagine um, that, that, that that would be a possibility.
7: There are a lot of uh, Christian... Authors, or I shouldn't say a lot, a number of prominent Christian uh, speakers and authors that um, I wouldn't have considered left-wing. We certainly have had a lot of expressions of those sort of left-wing that have endorsed homosexual marriage, um, same-sex marriage. Now there are some what I would consider more conservative that have started to endorse that as well. I'm struggling in my own mind how to reconcile the scripture that we read in First Corinthians five, which says, "But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, a railer, a drunkard, or an extortioner; with such an one know not to eat." So, what's the balance between you know we have uh, we've been told about unconditional love and you know developing a relationship, etc. But at what point is the you know where does this scripture fit in, and how do we balance that? Uh, uh, especially as we see other people who are calling themselves Christians believe they are and are, you know, let's say activists or, or really promoting that school of thought. Um, I'm not sure the scenario that you're
0: thinking of, Gary, but that scripture, of course, is talking about somebody who espouses a genuine biblical christian faith that then he has fallen into abhorrent sexual behaviors that's what that scripture is speaking about okay it's actually not speaking about people who have never come to the light to begin with and one of the questions that i always have to ask is that you know when people say that they're a christian and they've had born again experiences i say oh that's nice um thanks for sharing that um I'm not necessarily convinced that that really is the case. I don't really know where they are in their lives until I, uh, you know, until I would would you know get to know them better to know is this really an unbelieving person or is this really a believing person who has fallen to those kinds of sexual norms? So until I I get to know their situation in life, I can't really comment as to whether or not that scripture would would apply. It has its application, but you have to apply
8: it in the right circumstance
0: in life. I think.
8: Um, I've got kind of a question, but kind of uh, a statement. I sort of seem to be surrounded by this particular group of people (laughs) unintentionally. Um, I had a boss that I worked for who was not, he wasn't blatant about his gayness. You just sort of knew that he was, but he also spoke a lot of spiritual things that were really... You know, he, he had the scripture. He had, when somebody had a problem at work, he said, we need to pray for them. He sent them to my office to pray for them, um, things like that. And we just knew Randall was kind of that way. And we, he and I had a discussion one time kind of about it. And he said, I, you don't have to tell me how you feel about it because I know how you feel about it. And I said, well, Randall, you know how much I love you because he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He gave me a job after 12 years of not working because he used to work with me before. And now he ran a home care company. And, you know, he he gave me a lot of benefit. And he said, I do consider what you say to me. And I, I do have conflict in my own self about that. And in the other situation I have, you know, a lot of you think that, this gay and lesbian bi movement is all young people. I have friends, I have a lady who bought a horse from me. She's probably, I don't know, 10 years older than me. How old is Janet? She's probably in her late 60s, almost 10 years older than me. And we had developed a relationship because she had issues with fibromyalgia and other illnesses, and somebody recommended she came out and worked with me and my miniature horses. So she bought one from me, and we developed a close relationship. And it was years before she came out and said, you know, my friend Esther, she said, Esther and I are going to be in a relationship. And Janet goes to, to Quaker Meeting House, and Janet grew up a Mennonite. And she was married, and she had children, and she has grandchildren. And I'm like, this whole thing just... The me for a loop when they finally came and said, we just need to tell you that we're more than just friends. We're moving in together and we'd like to get married. And if you have any questions, you would not know that if you saw Esther, that she even had any inclination like that. Janet kind of is, she was in the military. She was a teacher in school. She's kind of, this is, I don't know, glittering generality. She's kind of butch, you know. That's just how she dresses and what she is. But how do I? I mean, I'm I'm trying to foster the relationship still about the horses and you know the, her illnesses and the things. They're wonderful people, like you said. They're they're awesome, caring, wonderful people. They support Robbie. They come to his horse shows and watch him ride. Um, I have a real burden for those two, even more than for Randall, because at least he searches the scriptures. I don't know what these two are doing. And, you know, I need for you all to pray for me, too, because they're getting on in years. I don't know how much time they have left to reconcile what they're doing with the Word of God. And Esther knows it because she comes from this area, and her family is a Mennonite family from here.
0: Thanks for making that point, Lynn. I think Natasha, um, I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday, she emphasized how much prayer that she actually put into the relationship. You know what? That's probably about the best thing that I can advise. There are no, there, there, there's no simple way through this. It's about just caring for the hearts and being broken before the Lord as He guides you through the relationship and to trust that He's going to bring things about in the right way for the right content with the right tone framed by the right heart the Lord bless you thank you very much for coming